This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wyman Winbush is known as the Wisdom Broker. He's a retired Navy captain with over 30 years of service. He's a retired IBM executive of 31 years. He's been teaching and ministering the gospel for over 30 years. And he's recently celebrated 32 years of marriage to Rosemary. Tighten up your life jacket. We're going deep with the Wisdom Broker on Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. This is straight talk you won't hear anywhere else. I'm Galen Bingham, and this is the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Cheers. One of the things that I'm reminded of when you and I get to hang out is you remind me of uh, one of my uncles who just passed away actually a few months ago. But coincidentally, he was in the Navy. Coincidentally, he left the Navy and he went to IBM. And coincidentally, he was a big fan, or at least he was the one that introduced me to Al Jarreau. I know that Al Jarreau is one of your yes. <laughs> favorites in jazz. What is it about jazz music and Al Jarreau in particular that all of these guys that I really respect and, and really go to for wisdom and, and advice, what is it about Al Jarreau? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I know when it comes to jazz, it is an international language. It's appreciated by every continent. I remember when I was stationed overseas in uh, Westpac, I, I stumbled across a Japanese uh, saxophonist named uh, Sadao Watanabe, right? And, you know, he was because Rover Washington Jr. is one of my favorites, so I gravitate towards that. And this guy was off the chain, man. But you know what? Uh, when it comes to music, the notes, it transcends language. And I think that's one of the things that people appreciate uh, about jazz in particular, particularly instrumental. But Al Jarreau was a unique gift to uh, music aficionados. He took scat to another level. His voice became the instrument, literally. And, and I think those who appreciate the uniqueness of uh, gifting, wherever it is, really appreciate him and the way that he leverage his gift so the world could appreciate it. So, you know, to me, you know, hats off to Mr. Al Jarreau. 
Now, take what you just said, and let's apply that back to what you were saying earlier about leadership, where your voice is your instrument. And that's a big part of what you do now as a speaker, what you did for uh, over 30 years with IBM. I mean, you can't, I guess you could get bigger than IBM. I just don't know what bigger might look like. But throughout that time to survive for that many years, you've been using your voice. And as I understand from some of our conversation in, in some of the last few years that you had with the company, they even asked you to do just that, just share advice. Tell me a little bit more about how you have used your voice, your, your jazz instrument to communicate your message with a company as big, as significant, as stalwart as uh, IBM. Here's what I found, whether you're first year in corporate or you're an executive vice president going into your 35th or 36th year, just as if it, you have a piano and it is a brand new Steinway right off the factory, handmade, polished, delivered, and set in your living room, or it is an upright that your grandmother passed down from generations. When you strike a C chord on the older piano, the C chord on the Steinway will resonate. When you impart an absolute truth, that truth within the person you're speaking to will resonate, whether that person is 22 or 72. And so as someone who imparts wisdom, someone who gives counsel, you want to strike a pure chord and that will stay with them forever. And something in them, they may have heard it, that truth will resonate within them and they will stand up and say, that man speaks truth, right? And then when you make it personal, okay, one of the tricks to leveraging wisdom is action. See, that's why the old ad is one of the tricks. I'm gonna give away my tricks when I speak. I ask people, how many have heard that uh, knowledge is power and everybody raises their hand with confidence because that's what we've been told all our lives. Go to school, study, get smart because knowledge is power. And then I come back with a pen and pop all the balloons in the room and tell them knowledge is not power. It's the appropriate application of knowledge that makes it powerful. There are folks who are carrying PhDs and everything, other kind of letters after their name that are, have no power because they have the knowledge, but they don't have the will to put it together. They don't have the will or the discipline to put it into action. See, the word wisdom implies action. Wisdom implies you're gonna put it to use. When you impart that wisdom, strike that C chord, and I'm not just giving you a fact, but then the next sentence, I'm gonna challenge you to put that fact to work, put that piece of knowledge to work to enhance your life. That's why it's personal. As a matter of fact, again, when, when often when I start a, a presentation, particularly with young people, I tell them, don't take, just take notes on what I say today. I want you to make those notes actionable. So on one side of the paper, on the line, you write the truth, the revelation, the knowledge, the wisdom that I give you. On the other side, you put how are you going to use it and when. Smart goals, specific, measurable, 
right? Actionable, realistic, right? And time bound, right? So I got this piece, for example, I know that if I start saving in my 20s, I can retire earlier because of the power of compound interest and systematic savings. That's the fact. The action is tomorrow I'm going to open up a brokerage account and commit to depositing $25 a month. You got to start someplace. Mm-hmm. No matter what age you are, the, the, the key step is just to start. Right. So I give them I give them the fact. And then I give them I challenge them to put it into action. That's good. That's good. And I'll, I'll tell you that that reminds me of something that I use a lot in my conversations in my presentations as well. Uh, I call it 6724. And I usually make a big deal out of having everyone write down 67 and then write down the number 24. It's actually coming from research that I found when I first got into this business of speaking for a living, as opposed to you know doing something else for a living. I got into this business of speaking for a living. And so I wanted to understand what is the retention rate of people. And I found this research that says that people will forget 67% of what they hear in just 24 hours. People will forget 67%, and that's where I get the 67, in just 24 hours. If you don't believe me, Google the forgetting curve. It's actually called the forgetting curve. What that means is I might hear something that I think is amazing because I heard this guy by the name of Wyman Winbush, and he's the wisdom broker, and he says something amazing. And boy, that's going to change my life. I'm going to remember that. Well, research suggests that by this time tomorrow, you will have forgotten 67% of this amazing information that you just heard from Wyman, unless you do something to improve your odds. And that is not only write down what he said, but write down what he inspired you to do, because you might forget what he inspired you to do (laughs) or you might forget 67 percent of what he inspired you to do if you just write down what he said that's awesome so so i'm doing a little math here myself so basically you can say is if what you're sharing is profound and impactful and will have a tremendous impact on your success and two-thirds of the people in the room won't remember it the next day you can just put yourself in the top third of those in attendance simply by writing it down and committing to making an act, taking action on it, right? Because the other two thirds are going to forget it and they will no longer have the option to mm. take action on it because you can't act on what you can't remember. So if you want to be a top third percenter, you need to learn how to take notes in a way that you, they'll be retrievable. And actionable. To your point, having the knowledge is not power. A lot of folks have the knowledge. How many times have you seen a, a new product, a, a new idea, and you thought, oh my God, that is so simple. I should have thought of that. Well, you should have, but you didn't. <laughs> or, or you did think of it, you just didn't take action on what you were thinking. And the people who make the money get the fame, get the press. Get all those things that you say that we want are the people that act on it, not just the people who came up with it. So, And, and as a footnote to that, Galen, 
the people who make the money aren't necessarily the people who came up with the best version of the idea, but they're the people who took action on their idea, even though it wasn't as good as the best version out there. Oh my gosh. Say that one more time. I, I need to drink behind that. You know, the, the people who make the line share the money aren't necessarily the ones who come up with the best ideas, but they're the ones who act on the ideas that they come up with. And therefore, he said, man, I, I got mine works better than theirs. Well, too late. Theirs is already on the market and the market share is gone. Right. And now you're in also ran. If you'd have just taken action where you are, you would have been in that position. Oh, by the way, this is another reason, Galen, why we can't afford to procrastinate, because while you're procrastinating or trying to get it to be perfect, someone else is putting out their product that's only 70 percent as good as yours. And they're making money while you're still trying to perfect yours. So uh, I'm taking that to mean first is better than best. Yes. I love it. Well, hey, man, this has been an amazing, amazing conversation. I'm going to put you on the spot again and tell you I need to have you back. I need to have you come over again. One of the things I, I promised to my listeners, we would leave them with some bit of parting advice, parting wisdom, if, if you would that they can take with them. And you've shared so many gems already. What's one parting piece of advice you would want people to walk away? If they, if they forgot 67% of this conversation, what's the 33% that they need to write down and take action against because it, could, it might very well change their life? It has to be with being intentional in two areas. Be intentional about being essential to those in your ecosystem. Be essential to your family, your clients, your company, those who you have a relationship with. Be intentional about being essential. What is essential? Let's put it this way. If you're absent and no one misses you or you're easily replaced, you're not essential. In the marketplace, that means if your company or service isn't there, they can easily find somebody to replace you and replace that service. That's not the company that you want to represent. That's not the value you want to bring to the marketplace. You want to bring value to the marketplace that is so awesome, so off the chain, that when you're missed, it's immediately noticed and you're irreplaceable. Be intentional about getting there. The second thing is be intentional about imagining more. Your brain is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. Your ability to have an imagination. That gift comes from someone who had the imagination to create a duckbill platypus, right? If you look that up in your dictionary, you'll find a mammal with a tail like a beaver and feet like an otter and a bill like a duck that has spurs on its heels like a chicken that can actually release a venom that does stun its um, prey as uh, virtually blind and it finds its prey by using electrical feedback underwater. Now, that sounds like a freak of nature, but that is a result of divine imagination made manifest. So if you apply that to your company, your marketplace, and you use that imagination, I would challenge people to be intentional about imagining more. That means 
imagine more often and imagine more in the sense of bigger, greater, better than it's ever been seen before. And if you allow yourself to do those things, you'll find success going forward. Uh, oh my gosh, that is great. That was absolutely worth the price of listening to this episode. I have often said, you know, everyone makes a big deal out of finding your why, finding your purpose, especially nowadays. Usually the way people try to help folks find their purpose is they will ask, what would you do that you would do for free? And by answering that question, they're suggesting that by answering that, you will find your why. That always frustrates me because there are a lot of things that I would do for free. And there are a lot of things that I have done for free. A better question that I ask a lot of people, and, and you fit this category, what is that one thing that only you can do that if you don't do it, it might leave a hole in the universe? Wyman, I, I, I'm going to suggest that you are absolutely living in that space that if you don't do what you've done over these couple of episodes, if you don't continue to do this, you might leave a hole in the universe. Not doing what you were created to do is the misappropriation of time God has given you on this earth. To take it further, you take it back to the, the parable of the talents. Remember the, the, the one servant that misused his talent, that talent was taken away from him. So if he gives you the gift of wisdom, it's never for you. It's about your ability to impart wisdom to others. And if you don't do that, in other words, multiply the wisdom he's given you, then he'll take the wisdom from you and give it to someone who will. That's it. You know, you know I'm in the book, right? Oh, my gosh. The thing that I just came to understand this, very literally, I've known about that parable for years and decades now. And I've talked about that parable for decades now. But it wasn't until maybe two weeks ago that I learned that he was actually pissed at the guy that buried his talents. And he called him, the terms he used was the same, the same level of intensity that he used to describe Satan. He said, at least you could have done these small things <laughs> to get me some return. I bring that back to ignorance of, the, of how this thing works is no excuse. Right. Decisions, choices, consequences. Whether you did something out of fear or ignorance, it doesn't matter. You're still going to suffer the consequences. Right. And, and so we've got to be mindful of that. But also what that parable tells us is in order to multiply in a large manner, to get big numbers, you have to take risks. You can't play it safe. The guy who buried his talent played it safe. Doesn't get much safer than that, bury it and dig it up when it's called for, but math, multiplication cannot function in a safe place. You gotta get out of the boat and start walking on water for the math to work. 
you got to get out of the boat and start walking on the water for this thing to work the way it's supposed to work. Yes. I'll admit, I'll tell you, you just put, you just put some strength behind another thing that I've said a lot. And that is that growth really happens in comfortable places, but you can be comfortable and there's a place for comfort, but just don't confuse that for growing. Right. Don't, don't expect that because you're comfortable, you're actually doing something. I used to have a pastor who said, uh, there's nothing wrong with being in the valley because we all have valley experiences from time to time, but you're not supposed to set up shop there. You're not supposed right. to have a home in the valley. You're yeah. supposed to go through the valley. That means you, go. you should be ever trying to get to the other side, but so many yes. people find comfort in what I used to call a comfortable misery. Yes. I don't like this relationship, but they don't abuse me all the time. Right? Oh my goodness. And you look at that, man. If you look at uh, David, come on, David, let's talk to him for a minute. Yay, though I walk through, there you go, what, what you just said, the valley of the shadow of death, by the way, which is a, a metaphor for earth. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because thou art with me. So the comfort doesn't come from the lack of threat and darkness. Your comfort comes from the fact that knowing that God is with you. Now, he's not the comforter only when the sun's shining, only when you just got a pay raise. He's also the comforter in your valley season. And, and if you trust him because you've been walking with him long enough, you're comforted by just knowing that he's there. And how long will he be there? I'll be with you even to the end of the earth. Wait a second. Now, isn't that like 30 minutes? Isn't that just I'll be with you for 30 minutes? If you mess up, if, if you have a mental lapse and you do something extremely stupid, even if you make your bed in hell, I'll be with you. That's not me. I'm, I'm in the book. I'm just telling you what the Lord said. If you're going to leave like Jesus CEO, you got to swim in the same pond that he swam in. And, and a matter of fact, if you think about it, and I love this scripture, you know, prophetic scripture in Isaiah, it says, unto us, a child is born, unto us, a son is given. You see, the sonship, the spirit of Jesus cannot be born because that which is eternal has no birth or death. But a child that becomes the container for this eternal vessel is born of a woman. Therefore, the prophet said, unto us a child is born through the Virgin Mary, but a son who is everlasting to everlasting is given. And that son spirit is placed in the vessel of the child that is born. Fast forward, Jesus said, it's expedient that I sent to my father that I might bring you a helper in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is the same spirit that was manifested in the child that was born. And now you as a believer, the same spirit that enabled Jesus to do his miracles now dwells in your heart. Now, that's why Jesus has said, Everything you saw me do, you can do also, because the only reason I did it is because I was filled with the same Holy Spirit that now occupies your body. And Jesus said that he confirmed it. He said, hey, master, how do you do these things? It is not I, 
but the father in me that does the work. And that should be our testimony. When they look at your career, when they look at the impact you've had on, on, the, on the world through your podcast, and they're going to say, Galen, how did you do that? How did you come up with? Our response should be, it is not I, but the father in me that does the work. Turn, turn it around. Because if that's true, and I, I believe that to be true, the opposite should also be true. How many times have we had this grand vision of something we wanted to do and we tried to figure out how we were going to do it? And it didn't quite turn out right. We're not leveraging <clears throat> the same principles that you just shared on the, I mean, you shared it on the, at, at the end looking back. But how many times do we get on the front end and say, I've got this vision for something I want to achieve and I've got to figure out how I am going to do it. It's that same power that you just talked about on the back end. Yeah, again, that is a major epiphany. Because you heard me say this, uh, Rosemary, uh, uh, Rosemary and I are in concert on this. We have eliminated the phrase, I can't afford this, or, or we as in Rosemary and I can't afford it, because that obviously excludes God. When you're a child of God, we should be capitalized always because it should include the divine presence of God. And is there anything that you cannot do with God? Is there anything that you can't afford when God has co-signed with you. If you're intentional about acknowledging the presence of God in your life and what you have the potential to do or become, you got to take the brakes off, take the fences down, take the barriers away, because with Christ, all things are possible. Does your language, does your vision, is it a direct mirror image of that divine truth? If it's not, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help retrain your tongue, <laughs> right? That everything that comes out of your mouth is in a perfect alignment with the will of God and the word of God, right? And so <laughs> what you said is, is absolutely correct, right? When you plan, is it your plan or is it God's plan? And so when I said the other day, and I, you know, being applied as a guest, I, I made the statement, Rhetorical question. Have you ever failed when you did exactly what God told you to do? God doesn't have failure built into his plan. When God gives you a plan, there is no plan B because you don't need one. His plan is perfect. If you follow it in perfect obedience. Now, the reason we fail is because we try to give God some help. Mm -hmm. We forget who's driving the bus. And we start trying to take over the wheel and do it our way, which inherently is flawed because there's none perfect amongst us. When you're conscious about the presence of God in your life and the fact that everything he tells you, watch this, Galen, is not a suggestion. You can look at Genesis to Revelation and not find one time where God rendered his opinion or made a suggestion. Everything he says is a command to be complied with, with a yay and amen. Mm. Everything he tells you that you do not do 
not only not do it, but not do it when he tells you to do it. Like I mean, he tells you to do it today, or I'll do that tomorrow, is a deviation from his will, and it's prone to failure. I was going to say fraud. <laughs> yes. Yes. failure. Come on, man. That kind of wisdom, the sooner you catch that and you internalize it, your life changes, man. Your outlook changes. Your perspective changes. So with that, man, I just want to thank you for being part of this conversation. Let's toast out. This has been Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership, and you can't get a better advocate of leadership than the wisdom broker. So thank you for that. Cheers. Thank you, sir. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.